0: guy you can go ahead and turn that turn that down there you could have faded it a little bit <laughs> that was that's all right that's a good song uh, I'll cherish the old rugged cross that's a great song if you got your Bible sermons in first Timothy chapter five tonight and that's where we're going to spend our time and if you look at this or you've read it or you've uh, you've you spent any time studying this passage you You'll see that many consider this a very strange passage, um, and, and, and many would overlook it. As you come to a passage like this, you're like, okay, we don't need to talk about this, and you go on. You just move to the, to the next passage, because this passage seems to be all about widows, and that's kind of strange. It's kind of out of nowhere. Why would we spend, and it's 13 verses, on widows tonight? Uh, but I think it's more than widows, and I think you'll see that as we study it tonight. I, th- I think it's about women. I think it's about the whole church. I think this is a passage tonight that shows us how we ought to care for each other as a church. Uh, I think this ought to sh- to show our heart. Last week we talked about correcting one another in the church. And tonight I want to talk to you about caring for one another in the church. Two of the most important things we can do as a church is correct one another and care for one another. Uh, so tonight I want to show you and the, how the church ought to take care of women. And that's the, the primary... Uh, Uh, focus of the church is to care for the weakest among us and uh, you're you're reading James 1 talking about the the widows and the orphans so we need to make sure that we're caring for the the least of these in the church and uh, this is talking again tonight about women or about widows so uh, again I think this is a great passage for us there's a lot of application here for the church and for all of us I think it'll hit us all right where we live and we'll we'll learn some things This is the kind of study that you don't get unless you're going through an expository study through a book of the Bible. Uh, If you're going to pick a passage to preach, most preachers aren't going to pick this. So this is something that's not being taught. This is something that we all need. So let's look at tonight, caring for women in the church. Let's stand together. I'm going to read you a large portion of Scripture here. We're going to cover the the entire passage on widows or on women here. So I I want to get it and set it in front of you, starting in verse 3. And you'll see it, it just runs through all the way to verse 16. Caring for women in the church. Verse 3. Honor widows that are widows indeed. But if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and require their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. Now she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth, trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day, but she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. And these things give, uh, give, char- give in charge that they may be blameless. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those in, in, in his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. Let not a widow be taken into the number under three threescore years old, having been the wife of one man. Well reported of for good works, if she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. But the younger widows refuse, for when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. And with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. I will therefore that the younger women, widows, marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some are already turned aside for Satan. If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged that it may may relieve them that are widows. Indeed, you you see how the passage starts in verse three, it says the widows indeed at the end of verse 16, widows indeed. These are the, the bookmarks of one big passage that we're going to cover tonight that shows us how to care for the women in our church. And the church ought to be the most caring place in the world for women. It should be. And that should be our heart tonight as we study this. So let's pray together and we'll look at it. Father, we thank you for what many would call obscure passages like this that don't get studied, that don't get talked about, but it's very important. So God, I pray that you would soften our hearts, that we would see uh, that we need to care for each other in the church. And that's one of the, the, the main ideas of being a church family, is that we care for each other. We take care of each other, especially those who are the weakest among us. So God, help us to do that. Help us to learn that, so that we can be recognized as a church that takes care of each other. So God, teach us tonight how to do this. Help me to work our way through this, what could be a difficult passage. Help me to do my very best to explain these things in a way that would honor you. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. I think it's everywhere that we turn, we hear about something called a war on women. I actually heard it this week. I'd already been planning this sermon, and I was watching the sports center and come across the U.S., women's national soccer team who's talking about a war on women when it comes to they don't make as much as the US women's team as the US men's team does and they were saying that's proof that there is a war on women in our culture today and you hear that from athletes you hear that from celebrities you hear it from politicians every year they come up to the uh, to to vote or to to try to run for office and they tell you there's a war on women and we're going to stop that war we're going to make everything better for women if you'll just vote for for us so we're constantly being bombarded with this there is a war on women in our culture and they say there's two main areas or battlefields where this war is being uh waged in our culture uh here's the battlefield here's what they say i'm not saying i agree with this but they say the, the number one battlefield and where there's a war on women is a war in the womb and this is the on re- reproductive rights I just spent some time looking at this stuff up and listening to some lectures on this this week, and they say that women, if women can't have birth control and abortion on command anytime they want it, that's proof that there is a war on women in this culture. They say that if you defund Planned Parenthood, it's an attack on women. They say if you have a, a place in, in Uh, A mandatory ultrasound for women before they can get an abortion, it's an attack on women. They say if you uh, try to stop abortions after six weeks, it's an attack on women. They say if you make parents sign a consent form for girls to get an abortion, it's an attack on women. So they say that women are under attack because they can't have reproductive rights. That's one battlefield. The other one is a war at work. They call this one the gender pay gap, where women must make the same exact money as men make. If they're doing the same job as a man, which that sounds okay to me, but they, they say that if a woman doesn't make as much as a man makes, then there's a war on women. They say they must do everything in, in their power to equalize men and, and women in that way. There's a war at the workplace, and they must do everything they can to protect women when it comes to the womb and to the workplace. That's where the war is being waged, they say. This is a war on women. I believe that there actually is a war on women. But I don't think it's in the womb. And I don't think it's in the workplace. I think it's coming from the world. I think they're actually the ones that are waging the war on women. I believe that the real war is on God's design for women. That the world is pulling women into the workplace to compete with men, to climb the ladder, to break the glass ceiling, to pour their lives into a career, to live for earthly gain. I believe that there's a war on women. I believe there's a war on women when it comes to the to the womb. That they're ripping babies out of the womb of women. They're telling women that, that kids are too expensive, don't have kids, don't get married, get a divorce. Who needs a man? It's a war on women. I believe there's a war on women when it comes to God's design on how they ought to, uh, to live and to dress. I, I think that social media mocks being a housewife. I think social media mocks modesty and true beauty. I believe social media mocks God's true design for women. There is a war on women, but it's not in the womb and it's not at the workplace. It's coming from the world. It's, all, it's an attack on God's design The liberation of women has led to a destruction of women. Feminism is not the answer. It is not progressive. It is destroying women. There's an attack on women and it's coming from the world. So we've got to return to God's design for women. That's where they are safest. Living God's design. I believe that God cares for women. And that was established from the very beginning that women must be provided for and women must be protected. God said that very clearly. And he gave women, get this, and you got to get this before we start. He gave women fathers to take care of them. I have three daughters and God has given me those daughters and it is my job to provide for those girls and to protect those girls. And I'm to do that with everything in my being to make sure that they're taken care of. And the only time that I quit taking care of my daughters is when they walk the aisle and I hand my daughters over to the man that they're going to marry. And when I hand my daughter over to whoever that is, I'm going to look at that man and I'm going to say, it is now your job to protect and provide for this girl. And now it's the husband's job. It goes from the father, and God has designed it this way, from the father to the husband. And it's the husband's job now to provide and protect the woman. The woman is to always be under the protection and provision that God has given. You say, well, what happens if the father hands the girl over to a husband, and then that husband dies? Who then is to protect and provide for the women? The father maybe have passed away. The husband is, is gone. The, one, the woman now is, is by herself. And, and all she, she may even have, have kids. And she's a, a single mother now. And she has to provide and, and protect for herself. What's she going to do? That's exactly what we have here. If there's no father and there's no husband, then God has designed another area of protection and provision for women. You know what that is? The church. That's what we have right here in front of us. He's talking about widows. If the husband dies and, the, and the, the woman is now left to herself, she's very dangerous. Especially in this culture, she is, she's in a very dangerous predicament. Women in that culture especially could not provide and they could not protect themselves. So somebody had to come in and do it. So God has given the women uh, in his design a father, a husband, and the church. So that women will always be taken care of. So that's what we get to look at tonight. This is how God expects the church to care for women or, or widows. The church must be a reflection of the compassionate and caring heart of God. So we're going to look at that tonight. And I, I think it's, again, it has to be our heart. I don't want you to care for women or for widows or for anybody in the church because you're commanded to do So this ought to be something that's in our heart that we really care about people in the church. So let's look at this. I've got it outlined in, in three points. Showing us how to care for women in the church. Number one in verse three. I want to show you the responsibility that the church has to care. He says there in verse three. Honor widows. And then he says that are widows indeed. So you see that at the very outset he tells us who it is is we're to take care of. Widows. He says it there two times. And he repeats it over and over in this passage. So it's widows. This word widow is uh, "chera" in, in the Greek, and it means to suffer loss. That's what the word widow means. It means to be left alone. It means to be without. It means to have something stolen from you is what, what the word actually means. And, and so it could be a woman, and I want you to, to get this, that has lost a husband due to death, due to divorce, or due to being deserted. Uh, They say in that time there was a lot of, uh, especially in the church, Christian men who ended up being persecuted and sent to, to jail. So they would go off to jail or they'd go off to war or they would die. And these women would be left alone and they would be suffering loss and they would be without. So they have no support, no protection, nothing at all. Not like our culture, where you have Social Security and Medicaid and Medicare and all these different programs in place to to provide for women in some way. They didn't have that then, so they had to. This could be very dangerous for these women, and God wants to make sure that they're taken care of. This is all over the Bible that God wants to make sure they're taken care of. Exodus twenty-two. I, I, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to just to, to show you a. I thought this was a fascinating verse. All the way back to the law. This isn't something new. Exodus 22, verse 22. You shall not afflict any widow. This is in the law. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. That's an orphan. If thou afflict them in any way, in any wise, and they cry at all unto me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath will wax hot, and I will kill you with a sword and your wives shall be widows, and your children shall be fatherless. God takes this serious, doesn't he? It's as if if you do anything to a widow, God gets in on the action. And I'm going to take care of this. This is Acts chapter 6, and and again, you don't have to turn there, but I I want you to see that it was in Exodus at the very beginning. It's in the early church in Acts 6, when the very first deacons are put into place. It says, and in those days... When the number of disciples were multiplied and there arose a murmuring among the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So God puts in place deacons to take care of the widows. God is constantly showing himself to be caring for the widows. James one twenty seven: pure religion undefiled is taking care of widows and orphans. It's God's heart. It's what God expects the church to take care of widows. And then it says, how do we do that? Just in verse 3. Honor widows. There's the word honor. It's a good word. It's more than just respect. It's more than just honor your mother and father. You honor your mother and father by showing them respect and by treating them in the right way. But this isn't just to treat them with respect and hold them into high regard. Look at verse 17. Same word is used. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. This honor is, again, more than respect, more than holding in high regard. Honoring widows or honoring women, taking care of them, involves financially providing for them. That's what the word means in verse 17. You could read this way. Let the pastors that rule well be counted worthy of double pay. That's what it is. It's a verse that defends paying your pastor. So he says, pay your pastor by honoring them. Same word over here, honor widows. You meet their needs financially. I think it's more than financial. I think it's protecting. I think it's providing. I think it's being there for them. I think that the church is supposed to gather around them and meet their needs. This ought to be the heart of the church. We ought to care for the way God tells us to care for widows now you say how do we do that because he says here honor widows that are widows indeed so it's not every widow that would be a lot of people that the church would have to take care of every widow whose every woman whose husband has died husbands have, has divorced them or husbands d- deserted went off to war or in jail there, there could be all kinds of widows in the church and even in our culture today where there's more divorce than there's ever been, there's more desertion than there's ever been in the church before. So there could be all kinds of, of widows in the church and the church having to, to hand out money and, and provide and protect and, and be there for every single one of them. Is that what we're, we're going to do? And he says, no, 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 no. You only do it for widows that are widows indeed. Widows that truly have a need. That's what the word means. Verse 5, it would say widows that, indeed, that are desolate, that really have a need, that are without. So the church has a responsibility to care for widows that really have a need. So now you have to figure out how do we know if they really have a need or not? The responsibility is to care for for widows that are truly in, in need. How do we know? You can have a, a long line of widows coming up and, and lining up in the church saying, I don't have a husband, I, I've got kids, I've got this, I've got this. You need to, to pay for my bills. You need to take care of me. And, and there's got to be some kind of discernment of saying, yes, we'll take care of you, but not you. So now he's going to get to, he, here's the ones who are really in need, and here's the ones who aren't in need. So now we've got to figure that out. So that's point number two. Not just the responsibility to do that, but the requirement for the care. So now he goes down through here and he says, here's how we figure out if they really have a need or not. I like this first one. This is the criteria. This is the the questions that you answer. This is, as as someone comes to you and they're a widow, and they're saying, okay, I need you to take care of me, this is how I'm going to go down through the list and say, does she really need our care? Some really need it and some don't. I get calls here at the church all the time of people asking me to pay bills. Will the church pay for this? I had somebody come to the church one time and say, Will you I just bought a brand new Jeep? Will you will the church pay for the taxes on it? I looked at it and 30-day tax on the Jeep. I said, No. It's okay to say no. You get call after call. I get messages on my phone all the time. Will you pay this? Will you pay that? Will you give this? Will you give that? And I've got a list of questions that I ask. And I go down through there and see if they really have a need. I've done this for years. So now if a widow comes to the church and they're members in the church, I have a need. There's a list here that he's going to give. Requirements or criteria where we decide if they're really in need or not. Number one is the family requirement. You ask them if they have family that can take care of them. Look what it says. If any widow have children or nephews, the word nephews there I thought was weird until I looked it up in the Greek, and it's actually if any widow have children or descendants. The word would mean grandchildren. If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn first to show piety at home. The best place to have your needs taken care of if you're a widow is by your own family first. That's what it says. Let them first, first show piety at home. The best place for you to see whether you have true saving faith or not is how you act in, in your home. So let, let, let the home be the first place. He says, well, watch this. Let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents. You know what the word requite means? To repay your parents. These children and grandchildren now have a responsibility. Don't don't let the church do it. If, If there's children and grandchildren, then they need to go and let the children and grandchildren take care of them first. To repay them. To repay them for what? Well, if you're like me, I had parents that raised me that loved me, that sacrificed for me, that put their lives on hold for me, that there was all the time that that my mom and dad would buy me shoes, they'd buy me clothes, they'd buy me video games, they'd buy me things for sports, and my mom and dad would go without. My dad had to wear the shoes that he bought for me. All that taken care of. As a kid, I never worried one single bit. Don't you wish you could go back to those days? I never worried whether I'd have clothes or food. Or a place to sleep. I knew that my mom and dad would take care of me no matter what. I never woke up in the morning saying, Wow, I wonder if I'm gonna have food today. Mom and Dad takes care of me. So that when they get old and can't take care of themselves, I requite that. I'm supposed to repay that. So that when they get old and and and, and they can't do it anymore. They should wake up every morning knowing, my kids are going to do it for me. And when they get old, they should never have to worry about, am I going to be able to eat? Am I going to have a place to live? Am I going to have clothes on my back? Because I've got children that will take care of me. It's one of the reasons I had five kids. I should never have to worry about anything when I get old. I've got five kids. They're going to, and I have my kids tell me that all the time. Dad, I'm going to get you this kind of car when, I'm, when we get older, and we're going to get you this kind of house, and we're going to, and I'm sitting there thinking, Love, I can't wait. I'm just going to sit back and not worry about anything. But right now, I'm pouring everything into my kids so that one day when I'm too old to do it, they're going to pour it all back to me. They're going to buy my chicken nuggets at McDonald's. <laughs> That'll be happy meal time right there. I'll be old, and I'll be wanting a toy out of that happy meal. <laughs> you repay it that's how things go it's full circle and it says here that when you do that this is a great verse that is good and acceptable for God you know what that means God loves it when you do that when kids take care of their parents when they get old and I would say this right now just, just, I know there's people in our church I don't want to point any of them out that you have taken care of your parents in their old age. My mom and dad did it for my granny. And it was hard. But right here it tells me that God looked down on that and said he was pleased with you for doing that. Amanda and Steph and Misty took care of their mom. One of the hardest years you could ever imagine. Watching her, helping her, Providing for her, protecting her, me and Brandon. And God looks down on that and says, I'm happy. That's what God wants us to do. That it comes full circle. So first, family. And it adds there, and and, and I know I'm taking up some time, but it it adds here in verse 8, if you look down there, but if any provide not for his own house. If you can't do that, If you can't show faith at home, if you can't take care of those closest to you, if your faith doesn't show itself where it really matters in the home with people who have taken care of you and and brought you up, that's what it says, if you can't provide for your own home, especially those of his own house, then you've denied the faith and you're worse than an infidel. That's what it says. And your faith, if, if your faith don't work at home, it don't work much. Don't tell me how much Bible you know if you can't take care of your own home. He says, the infidels know better than this. You know who takes care of the elderly better than anybody in the world? China. They take care of the elderly. They bring them into the house. They live with them. And those are godless, pagan people for the most part. If they can do that, and they're godless and pagan, then Christians ought to be able to take care of the elderly i'll move on from that so it starts with first question the family second faith check and see where their their, their faith's at follow with me in verse 5 now she that is a widow indeed and, and desolate in a real need she trusts in god she continues in supplications and prayer night and day she doesn't live for pleasure because if she does that, she's she's dead where she lives. So the saying there is that she's a faithful woman. And she's not some woman out there who's living in sin, living it up, living in adultery, living in, in whatever kind of debauchery that she wants to live in. But when she comes to you and she's asking, please meet my needs, that she knows she's trusting God. And when she gets on her knees every night at her bed, she's praying, God, I know you're a God who meets needs. Please provide for me. She is a faithful woman. She prays. She seeks God. She never stops. She doesn't live in sin. She hasn't turned to a sinful lifestyle. She's not drunken, sexually immoral, drugs, foolish with her money. She has a real need. She lives faithfully and she seeks God. So first thing, and I am going to move on. First thing. If she comes to you and you say, do you have family that can meet your needs? Do you have children and and grandchildren around you who need to come to you and and to take care of you because that's the right thing to do? And if they do, then we pass them on. If they don't, we move to the faith requirement. Are you living right? Are you seeking God? Are you praying? Do you trust Him? Are you living for pleasure? Because if you are, we can't support that. Supporting a lifestyle like that is hurting more than it's helping. So we don't do that. You can't support a sinful lifestyle. You can't support open rebellion. You can't support sinful habits. That hinders them. Not, don't help them. So we don't support people living in sin. If they're living like that, we, we say we, we can't do it. So, requirement number one. You're following with me on this. Number one, if they have, if they don't have family, sure, we're going to move to the point. Where we're going to go to number two. Do you have faith? Are you living like you ought to be living? And if you're there, let's move to number three, which is the final requirement. It says these things give charge that they may be blameless. We've already covered verse eight, verse nine. Let not a widow be taken into the number. You see that there's so much confusion over the number. I've read commentary after commentary. And what does the number mean? I don't think it's that hard. I think he's saying, let not a widow be taken onto the list. I think they had a list somewhere in the church of all the widows they took care of. And he's saying, don't put them on the list unless they do this. Here's the list. He says, let not a widow be taken onto the Number onto the list. They may have had it on the bulletin board somewhere telling the church, here's the widows we need to take care of. That's not just something the pastor does. It's what everybody does. Make sure you watch out for these women. Don't let anybody go on the list who is, look at this, under 60 years old. (laughs) It's the age requirement. You say, why 60? So she comes up to you and she's 59 and a half. (laughs) I don't know how that would work wait six months but under 60 don't let anybody under 60 here's the reason it was considered in that time if you were over 60 you couldn't work for yourself and if you were over 60 you were most likely not going to get remarried so you're going to be a widow indeed you're going to be a widow right on and on and on So he's saying anybody under 60 don't put on the list. And I I think it's it's funny that the Ukraine right now is drafting men to go into the army and fight for them. I don't know if you guys noticed the age requirement. They were taking nobody over 60. There's a a cutoff there. And that was the the cutoff then, it's the cutoff now. So he's saying at 60 they can't work and they probably won't get remarried. So anybody under 60, they don't go on the list. And we're just again narrowing it down. We started out with a large group of widows coming to the church. Please take care of us. We have family. We have the faith. And now we have these final. Are you, are you under 60? Then you're out. Next one. Were you a one-woman man? Or a one, one-man woman? It says, well reported of having, verse 9, been the wife of one man. She only has eyes for one man. And he's gone. Divorced her. Deserted her. Died. Went off to war, in prison. We don't know. But she was faithful and devoted to that one man. And then it says, check her reputation. And this is is really the, the last requirement. Verse 10. Well reported of for good works. That reported of has a good reputation for her works. Here's her reputation. This is what people would say about her. So now you're going to go around and you're going to say, what does, what do people that know her say about her? Let's see, let's see what, who she really is. Let's see if she's faking it. Let's see if she's trying to pull one over on us. So I'm going to go out and we're going to talk to some people and see if they, if they really are who they say they are. And here's what people say about her. It's well reported that she does this. And I think this will be a reputation that all women want. There's a reputation that the world wants women to have, and there's a reputation that God wants women to have. Here's what it says. Well reported for good works. What, what's the good works? She's raised her children. Number one, she's raised godly kids. Number two, she's lodged strangers. She's opened up her home. She has hospitality. At that time, there's a lot of people traveling to and from cities, Not a lot of hotels you could stay at. Not a lot of safe places you'd want to stay. And this woman is known to have opened up her home to missionaries and to preachers and to people traveling through. And when they came into the home, she washed their feet and she relieved the afflicted. As they came in, their feet would be dirty and they would be broken and long-traveling. That word afflicted means they're shattered to pieces and she's going to put them back together. And she's a very loving and kind and gracious woman who's opened the home and served and washed the feet and been just an amazing woman here. She's known for, again, raising kids, opening her home and meeting needs. That's her reputation good reputation for women to have that you are raising your kids opening your home hospitality and serving the needs of others so there you go that's the widows we take care of that's what it says I mean I I, I think it's as clear as it can be you have the family test you have the faith test, and then you have those final few tests there in, the, in, in verses, verses 9 and 10. Here's the women or the widows that are widows indeed. He's just described a, an indeed widow. And whoever meets those requirements, that criteria should be taken care of and supported and protected and provided for by the church. And it shouldn't be a burden. We shouldn't say, oh, I've got to take care of another widow <laughs> It should be a great and happy privilege that we are able to take care of women. Glad to do it. People on the outside should look at a church and say, that church takes care of its people. You know what a bad look for the church is? It's a good look for a church that takes care of its own people. It's a bad look for a church when the pastor is rich and the widows are poor. And again, this isn't just about church officials. I could take you through the passage and show you that it's not just a pastor who's supposed to do this. It's not just that you give to the church and the church does it now. This is church people doing this. That we notice and we pay attention and we watch out for these women to take care of. Maybe even, again, a list. So don't expect the church to do what you won't do yourself. It's our heart. It's your heart. We take care of the widows. Number three, and I'll close. This is, this is interesting stuff. I think this is a lot of pastoral care. I think, I think it's the heart of the church that we ought to have the heart that God has inside the church. And again, it's, 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 it's not people on the outside. I think there's, there's, we have a responsibility for those on the inside. And on the outside, we can take care of and we can meet needs of, but we have no responsibility whatsoever to meet needs on the outside. I think that shows love and we can do that. It's like in my home. I have a responsibility to Steph and to five kids. That's my job. That's my duty. If I have to take two or three jobs on to make sure that their mouths are fed and that they have clothes on their back and they have a roof over their head, I'll do whatever I have to do to make sure that my children are taken care of. It would be irresponsible for me to leave them hungry, without clothes, and not a roof over their head while I'm giving money out to the houses across the street. We take care of those on the inside first. That's our homes. That's the church. It's our responsibility. And last, verses 11 through 16, we'll close. I want to show you the, the refusal to care. Because here's some widows we turn away. The refusal. He says that, but the younger widows refuse. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the same word that we used in verse 7 of chapter 4. It, it's on the same page as, as on my Bible. But it says, refuse profane and old wives' fables. And I told you a few weeks ago that word refuse means that we push it away. That we say no to it. That we're not going to listen to old wives' fables. We're not going to listen to to things that aren't good. We're not going to listen to to bad preaching and and, and false teaching. We're going to push that away like we're pushing away a nasty tasting food on the table. Brussels sprouts. (laughs) Push it away. That's no good. That's what refusal is. I'm pushing it away. So he says there, push away profane and old wives' fables. Push that away. Same word here that we push away, we refuse younger widows. Under 60? I don't know. Younger widows as in verse 2. Younger as in sisters. But it's Younger. And why do we push away younger women, younger widows? Maybe that's the under 60 where he says we're, we're saying no to you. What do we do with them? Pushing them away. He says, but the younger widows refuse. And here's why. The word for there, because eventually they're going to want to remarry. That's what he says. Eventually, I like the way it says, they're going to start wax, begun to wax wanting. That's a, good, that's a good phrase. My girls are going to start wax wanting one day. They're going to want a husband. That's their desire. And Whether you like it or not, women have an innate God-given desire for a husband to protect and provide for them. That desire, with a woman under 60, a younger woman, is going to start working and they're going to start saying, "I, I want, I want a husband. So when that happens... She's going to start wax wanting against Christ and they're going to marry and having damnation because they've cast off their first faith. You say, what is all that? Oftentimes when women want to remarry, they get really desperate in wanting to remarry and they start chasing men that they shouldn't chase. I've had widows come to me and say, I'm going to get remarried. I found me a guy. I say, okay, is he saved? He's got a good job, (laughs) Is he saved? He's good to me. Is he saved? No. I think he'd be a good husband. But the Bible says don't be unequally yoked together. You're just desperate. You're waxing wanton. And, and you're, you're seeking after something. And, and, and you're, just, you're going to take anything that you can find. Anybody you see. Anybody that will have you. So you go off and, and try to grab anything, you, anybody you, you can. So he says, push that away because younger women, younger widows are likely to do this. So we, we don't take care of them. And also, not just the desire to remarry, but it says in verse 13, and also they're going to get have too much time on their hands. If they don't have a husband, if you're taking care of everything that they've got and, and you're meeting their needs and you're providing for them and they, they don't have anything else to do and they're young... Look what they're going to do. They're going to be idle. Idle hands in the devil's workshop, I've been told. They're going to start wandering around from house to house. Not just idle, but they're going to be tattling. And they're going to be busybodies. They're going to start speaking things that they shouldn't speak. I mean, they're just going to be running their mouth everywhere they go, spreading gossip in this house and spreading gossip on this house and getting on Facebook and and commenting here and commenting there. You know what? they got too much time on their heads. Younger widows are running around causing all kinds of trouble. Paul said it, not me. So he says don't put them on the list because they're going to get remarried and if they don't have a husband and nothing else to do, they're going to cause trouble. So instead, younger widows, verse 14, I love this. He gives us a list. And this is advice for young widows. I love this list. I'm preaching this sermon tonight and, and, and I'm, I'm sitting there studying and I'm thinking, i got to get fired up for a sermon on widows. <laughs> and I got to these verses. Really, just verse 14, I thought, this is... This is a jewel of a verse. I wish I could preach a sermon tonight called Advice for Young Women. Not just young widows. And if people are listening to this and they come across it later on, you can fast forward all the way to this point in the sermon. Advice for young women. Advice for my daughters. And it's so different than the world gives. This is advice from God not advice from Oprah Winfrey. This is, this is advice. Write this down. Give it to your daughters. Here, here it is. You ready for this? I've got four things. Number one, advice for younger women. And I, the first one's hard. Would I look at Gracie Bell and say, do this? She's not up here tonight. Thank goodness. She, she ain't going to listen to this advice. But she should, you know. She needs to hear this. Emma. Hallie. So different than what the world says. Younger women. He actually says younger women. Get married. There you go. The world says stay single. The world says sleep around. The world says who needs a man. The world says wait as long as you possibly can. Focus on your career. Get married as late in life as you possibly can. Paul says, tell younger women to get married as soon as they can. John MacArthur preached a sermon on, on a different passage, and this was his quote. I would tell younger women, get married. And then he said, get married. This is a grace of life. If you haven't found someone willing to marry you, ramp up the intensity and get married. God says, get married, young women. The world doesn't say that. The amount of people who are getting married today is going plummeting. Nobody's getting married anymore. He says, Get married, young women. Number two, he says, I love this. Get married. This is so practical. Get married. Have kids. <laughs> in that order. <laughs> yes. Get married. Have kids. I looked it up in the Greek. Bear children. You know what that means? Have at least five kids. <laughs> no <I'm> kidding. <laughs> Bear children. You see that? It's, it says more than one. Bear children. Have a bunch of them. I took that advice. Have a, have a bunch of kids. The world says go to university. The world says go in debt. The world tells women get a degree. The world tells women to to, to have $100,000 of debt at the four, first four years out of high school. It says, don't you dare have kids. They'll hold you back. You'll never uh, break the glass ceiling that way. You'll never uh, get ahead that way. You'll never get ahead of men that way. Never have kids. Abort the kids. God says get married and have kids. Psalm 127, as happy as the man who has a quiver full of kids. (laughs) I've got a quiver full and I can tell you I'm as happy as any man in the world. Psalm 127 also says that as your kids grow up, they become like arrows that you take out of the quiver and you shoot them into the world and they make a huge difference. i got five kids I'm shooting into the world and I know that they're going to make a huge difference in the world. Have kids. Get married. Have kids. Just dial the sermon down to this. I'd get in so much trouble if people heard me say this. Get married. Have kids. Number three, women... (laughs) Take care of the house. It's here. I will will therefore that younger women get married, have kids, take care of the house. The word there, guide the house, is run an orderly household. The world says do everything you can to get out of the house. God says get into the house. The world says let somebody else raise your kids. The devil would love it If we let unsaved people raise our kids from the time they're a baby until they get out of high school. Daycare, elementary, high school, college. Spend more time with unsaved teachers than they do with the saved parents. God says raise your kids. Run an orderly household. You say, can I have a career? Yes. No doubt. Proverbs 31. The woman is very industrious is the word they use. She works. But her number one priority is the home. Home first. Whatever else second. So get married. Have kids. Take care of the house. Keep yourself busy, number four. See what it says? Don't give occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Some have already turned aside after Satan. You say, what is that? It goes right back to verse 13. When these women didn't have anything else to do, they were idle, they were going from house to house, they were tattlers, they were busybodies, and they were speaking things which they shouldn't speak. They had too much time on their hands, so they were going out, getting themselves into trouble, saying things, doing things, acting ways that they shouldn't act. So now he says in verse 14, keep yourself busy. Stay busy. The busier you are, again, idle hands is the devil's workshop. I think it comes right from here. The busier you are being married, having kids, keeping the home, the less trouble you'll get yourself into. Hmm. A lot of the trouble we have in society right now would be fixed if we kept ourselves busy doing what God called us to do. If wives, here's what's going to get me in trouble. contemplating how to say this if wives kept themselves busy doing these things they'd have no time to go out acting like a teenager partying and getting drunk every weekend that seems to be the thing to do now that you have kids and you push those kids off on somebody so that you can go out and live like hell see it all the time You'd have no time to cheat on your husband and to sleep around. You know where most adultery takes place in the workplace? You'd have no time to gossip and to slander. You'd be too busy taking care of a quiver full of kids. Steph ain't got no time whatsoever to gossip with anybody but Hallie. <laughs> Let me tell you something, <laughs> she's just too busy. If we'd get busy doing what God's called us to do, it'd keep us out of a whole lot of trouble. You'd have no chance for Satan to get his foot in the door if you were busy doing what God called you to do. A lot of the, the adultery and the divorce and the people, husbands deserting their wives, all this would be stopped. And it's, it's rampant in our society. It's rampant in this town. And all that would be stopped if we just get back to the design God called us to. And if a husband, get this, would do his role. You said, what's his role? Provide for the family. Protect his family. There's no passage here. I thought this was funny. There's no passage here for the church to take care of the widower. Why? Why? Because the widower is supposed to go out and take care of himself. But if the husband would do his job and provide and protect and take care of, there'd be no time for him to go looking for any other woman. Do your job. Take care of your kids. Protect your wife. Go to work. Come home. You're too wore out to do anything else. Do your job that God's called you to do and there won't be no divorce and desertion going on. Yeah. And you know what? Kids would be much better off too. God designed it for a husband and a wife. Wife doing her job, husband doing his. And kids falling right in line. It for some have already turned aside it for Satan. And then in verse 16, and I'll, I'll close. If any man, and this is kind of just a catch-all. He's saying, if anybody sees anybody that we've missed, you get this? We might have missed somebody along the way with, the, with the, the family and the faith and the, and the final requirements, we might have, somebody might have slipped through the cracks and, and there's somebody out there we're not taking care of that we should be. So he says, if, if any man or woman believes that they said they found a widow, you see that? that there's somebody out there that needs to be taken care of that we've missed, then let them take care of them. <laughs> you see that? Don't go run to the pastor. You do it. Don't, don't let it be charged to the church. You get that? This is. Don't expect the church to do what you won't do. So if you see somebody out there that needs to be taken care of, some widow out there, or an orphan out there that ain't being taken care of, somebody weak that needs to be protected and needs to be provided for, then you go relieve them. You go meet that need. And let not the church be charged, put on their account, that it may relieve them, take care of them, who are widows indeed. It's our heart of the every individual in the church to take care of those in need. And I pray, and I'm closing, that this will be our heart. As a church, I hope we'd be a heart, a church that has a heart that takes care of each other. I hope that we each and every individual, because we can't be a church that cares unless we have individuals that care. You can't have one person in the church that cares and be calling yourself a caring church. It has to be the individuals in the church that watches out and cares for each other. So my prayer has been this week that we'll care for each other. That we'll care for the families in the church and our children and orphans and and widows. You know, I read some data this week that says the happiest women in America are church-going women. And you know why they're the happiest? Because they're the most taken care of. And as we do this, I want to show you one more thing, and I'm going to close. I want you to turn with me to John. John chapter 19. It's a great way to end the sermon tonight. John 19, verse 25 says now, and I want you to see this, where this is at. Jesus is on the cross in John 19. And now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. These are devoted women that were taken care of. When Jesus therefore saw his mother. You know his mother was a widowed woman. We know that she was, she was married to Joseph. But after Jesus was around 12 years old. We don't hear anything else from Joseph. And everybody says Joseph is, has died. He's, he's gone. And Mary was a widow. And that she had Jesus who took care of her from the time that Joseph died until Jesus goes to the cross. And on the cross here, while Jesus is at his hardest moment, with the sins of the world on his shoulders, dying for our sin in the last moment of his life here, it's three verses before he says in verse 30, it is finished. You notice that? Three verses before it's finished. And when it's finished, he's done. It's over. He dies. They put the spear in His side. So right before He dies, we all say "Well, Jesus was on the cross, He was thinking about me. I get that. And I, I I agree with that. But I believe in this last moment, He's thinking about something else. He's thinking about a mother who's been widowed and who's going to take care of her after I'm gone. This is the heart of Jesus on the cross. Look what He says. When Jesus therefore saw His mother... And the disciple, John always called himself the disciple, or the loved one, or the one that he loved. He never used his own name. He saw the disciple standing by, whom he loved. There's that phrase. He says to his mother, looking down, he sees his mom, and he sees John, the one that he loved. The disciple that was close to him. And he looks at his mom, and he says, woman, this is now your son you with me? Whose job is it to take care of the widow? The children or the grandchildren? And Jesus said, I am not giving the care of my mother over to my unsaved brothers. I'm handing the care of her over to John. Woman, behold your son. Saying, he's going to take care of you now. And then he looks at John and then he says to the disciple, John, behold your mother. You take care of her now. It is now your responsibility. She is a widow indeed. And his last moments on the cross, his heart was saying, Make sure my mom's taken care of. Make sure her needs are met. Make sure she's protected. Make sure, John, you take care of my mom. And you know what? That was his heart. That ought to be every one of our hearts. Not just for our parents or the widows, but for all those who are in need. May we all have a heart that cares for each other in the church. May God give us that heart. that is not a hardened heart towards each other, but it's a softened heart towards each other. We must be a church that corrects each other. We must be a church that cares for each other. If we want to be a church that God blesses. Let's pray. Father, I know this is a difficult passage, different, but I think it's good for us. I think the, the overall point for us is we need to care for each other. Especially those who are the weakest. And God, help us to do that. If there's widows in this church that we need to take care of, let us show it to us and we'll put them on a list. And we'll happily, with joy, smile on our face, provide for them and protect them. It's our job. That's what we do. It's our responsibility. Help us to do it. And God, I pray that we would be uh, family members that takes care of those in our own family. I mean that in a blood relation, but I mean that in a church too. That if we see a need anywhere in this church for anything or anybody, that we would gladly reach out and to meet that need. Whatever it is. Help us to have the heart of Christ. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs)